Well, good morning. Good to see you all. Um, we're going to finish up a series today, and um, I'm looking forward to it as we kind of wrap things up today, talking about this is us and asking the question who we are. And it's a question that's both a statement of declaration, but also an aspiration, trying to say who are we and where are we going and who are we seeking to be. Next week, I'm not going to be here, and you can pray for our family in particular. So next week, we are going to, my family is going to be gathering up in North Jersey. We're going to be having the memorial service for my mom and spreading mom and dad's ashes. So I'd appreciate you praying for us next week as we're out of here. But then as our family gathers together, we would really appreciate that. The following week, we're starting a new series. Now, as we started to think about this new series that we're going to be doing in two weeks, we, I started to chew on this and process through this back in the spring. And as I thought about this and processed on it, I was excited about it, and there was just certain things happening in our culture that were taking place that I thought we should talk about. In particular, some of the things that were taking place is there were some high-profile individuals who decided to walk away from the faith. And they kind of did that in, in louder, prof, uh, loud ways. And so we thought, one, and the whole idea of that is called deconstruction. We said, well, we want to take some time to walk through that and think through that. I have to say that as I've been spending time wrestling through that and processing through that, I would come back and say that of the many things that we have talked about on a Sunday morning and the many things that we have walked through, I'm kind of coming to the conclusion that this is going to be one of the more important series we're going to walk through and talk about that we've talked about in a very long time because it's really dealing with some huge foundational issues that's impacting the church and our culture today. And so I would just really encourage you to kind of put that on the radar to make a point of being a part of what we're working through as we start to walk through the whole series of deconstruction that takes place because the deconstruction issues really were not just things that were taking place in the church there's deconstruction issues that have been taking place culturally and so as we process through that and walk through that and see those things I think it's really significant. Also, as we talk about really what should be some of the foundational principles that we are building faith on and building our belief systems on. So we're going to walk through those things and talk about things. We're going to get nibby. So we're going to walk into issues of culture and life that, take, that are taking place and kind of look at some of the real things that are taking place. So I invite you to and encourage you to really kind of put that on your radar and kind of come ready to put your thinking cap on and your interacting cap on as we prepare that journey. But today, we're going to wrap up This Is Us. And so I want to return today to, to what we started with last week. And I'm going to walk through some scriptures, but also as I do that, I kind of want to ask questions as well. And so I'm going to ask a bunch of questions today and kind of walk through that. And then if you look at your uh, lesson guide, you're also going to see on the backside for life groups, you're going to see a series of questions that you're going to also then process through with them in life group as well this week. So I want to encourage you to look at that and think through that. But let's start in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. It says, And Jesus came near to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's have a quick word of prayer, then we'll jump in. Father, as we take this time today to, to look at your word, to think through your word, Father, we would ask that you would guide us, build into us the substance and the things of Christ. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, last week we talked about a number of things, and so I want to roll through those things on the screen. So if we can kind of start to run through those, I'm going to read them from the screen. So let's go to the next one. We talked about how the, with discipleship, the disciples understood a series of things. So let's just kind of start to hit them. We'll go to the next one. They started to understand baptism was vital to the discipleship journey. They understood this. They understood that whole reality. So as they started to walk through this journey and they started to think about the process of discipleship, they understood baptism was, the, was vital. What's the next one? 
It was intentional. They understood this about discipleship. They understood the process was intentional. Next. They understood it was personal. It wasn't just from a distance. You're not going to be able to disciple people and build into people from a distance. It's, it's, you're kind of sharing space. It's personal. You're sitting across the table. You're sitting side by side. You're sharing life together. It's very personal. Go on to the next one. It was much more than just instruction. Again, we talked about this last week. This is part of where our culture has gone to. Our culture has gone to the reality and the mindset that if we just educate, if we just instruct, if we just provide information, then we have done our job. And that's not the case. And the disciples understood this because as they interacted with Jesus, as they were disciples under Jesus' ministry, they thoroughly understood that it was so much more than just receiving instruction. It was practice. They were doing things, and Jesus had them doing things. They were watching and learning and practicing. So it was much more than instruction. Go to the next. Jesus Jesus was letting them be present. So as we talked about that, Jesus let them watch life. Jesus invited them in the journey. So Jesus didn't say, okay, guys, now we're done. Now I'm going to go do the important stuff. Jesus invited them into the journey. So again, as we talk about discipleship, and it's intentional and it's personal, we're also now starting to take time to invite people into our journey. Come watch, come listen, come learn. Hold this while I do this. While I'm doing this over here, why don't you do this over there? It's that intentionality, but it's now being present. It's not distanced. How about the next one? Growth took many years, many years, three years process that Jesus invested into discipleships. Discipleship was a three-year process. We talked about microwaving. We can't microwave discipleship. Next one. One more. Okay. Jesus expected the disciples to what? To step up, to step out, and to lead. They understood this. Guys, I'm passing the baton. Here you go. Next one. A person ready to be disciple did not see obedience as an ugly or negative thing. This is huge. Again, we talked about this last week. Obedience was not a negative detail. Parents, as you tell your kids, obey. How often are they looking at that word obey as it comes from your lips as a positive thing? Seldom. Why? Because they are wanting to do something else. But the disciples understood. What were they in the process of doing and learning over those three years? They were learning to obey. They were learning to follow. They were learning to listen. They were learning to heed. They were learning to obey. Obey was not a negative word. It is not a negative word. In fact, Obey is a very positive word because it's a sheltering, protecting word. If you listen, if you follow the guidance I give you, you're going to miss out on so much of this other stuff. I would encourage you again to go back to Proverbs chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, and read the, read the Proverbs. And as Solomon is talking to his son, he said, Son, I want you to listen to me, and I want you to follow my guidance. I want you to follow my instruction, because if you listen and if you follow, you're going to have a whole bunch of crap and garbage and mess over here that you're going to totally avoid. You're going to totally miss all that garbage of life over there, because if you listen and obey, you're going to go down a different road, and you're not going to go down that road. That road is going to destroy you. This road gives you life. And so, son, if you learn to listen, if you learn to obey, I'm going to help you to learn to navigate the road that gives you life instead of the road that will destroy you. So even learning obedience is that word and is that process that's hugely protective because it's, we're learning to walk correctly and we're avoiding all of this garbage that wants to destroy us. So obedience is not a negative thing. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And they understood, and learning the process of obedience is a beautiful thing. Next. So, here we are today. Here's the first question. 
the disciples understood all of those things we just hit. So, how do you expect the disciples to start getting involved in ministry? Jesus sits down and he has this conversation. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And they understand what the discipleship means now because they've lived in a context. They understand it means baptizing and teaching people to obey. They understand all the things we've just walked through. So what do you expect the disciples to start to do? I didn't hear you. Get involved. How do you expect them to get involved? You expect them to start discipling people, right? Isn't that what Jesus just told them to do? Guys, go make disciples. How many of you think sat down and... I'm going to steal this for a second. They all sat down in a group together and... Said, okay, guys, let's pull up your chairs and let's have a conversation. So, okay, guys, let's, let's take some time to listen to Jesus' words and study Jesus' word. What do you think Jesus said it really meant for us? Thomas, what do you think Jesus meant when he said we need to make disciples? What do you think? And you kind of help me understand that. What do you think he said? So, what do you think that looks like, Thomas? I'm confused. No, they weren't confused. They understood that they needed to start making disciples. They understood that they needed now to start to invest in people's lives. They understood that they now started to invite, needed to start inviting people to walk alongside them, to have conversations with them. Here, hold this as I do this. this they, need to, they understood that they needed now to start doing the same things with other people that Jesus was doing with them. They got it. Guys, What do we expect the disciples to start to do? We're expecting them to start to make disciples. Now, go to the next question. Of the 500 plus other people following Jesus, because again, we've talked about this, there's a multitude of people following Jesus. And later on, as Paul talks about the resurrection and those kinds of things, he makes the observation that at least 500 people, I think it was Luke who talked about this actually, he said there's at least 500 other people who saw the resurrection of Jesus. So as we talk about at least 500 other people seeing the resurrection of Jesus, scholars understand, biblical scholars understand, that there are at least 500 people on a regular basis following Jesus in his ministry. Now we see the focus on the disciples. But there were other people part of the journey. Jesus chose the 12 from the crowds that were following him. And there were actually even more than those 500 following him. But as Jesus started to shift his ministry, and Remember that when people, Jesus started to shift his ministry, many left, and Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Peter, are you going to go too? And Peter said, where am I going to go? You're the very one who has the words of life. Where am I going to go? No, I'm not going anywhere. I'm continuing to follow. I'm going to continue to listen. They're, they're choosing to go because they don't like the message you're preaching, but I'm not going to go. I'm going to continue to follow. And at least 500 other people continued to follow the ministry of Jesus. So of those 500 other people that were also following the ministry of Jesus... How many of them should have been making disciples as well? Yes. All of them. Because again, as you look at scholars and you look at history, they thoroughly understand that this great commission... This, this is what they, the, historically we have defined Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20. We've defined this as a great commission. This is the, the, the marching orders that the church has received. We also can look at Acts 1.8. All authority has been given to me. All power has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. No. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You have to pull that stuff out. of the, Get the right file drawer and pull that stuff out. All authority has been given. Go and make disciples. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. All that stuff. Guys, go. Go, 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 go. And as we wrestle through these things, we understand historically that we're not just talking to the twelve. It's understood that this is a command that's being given to the church. To all of us. 
And so the other 500 plus, absolutely, we get it. What should they need to do? What should they start doing? They should also start making disciples. One more question. What is your role in a disciple-making process? So you also have a role. You have a role. And as we wrestle through this, it's really only one of two responses. Now you can wrestle with, well, Andrew, I think it may be a few more other variations. And we can have that conversation later. But really it's going to be one of two categories. How about that? You'll fall into. The one category you're going to fall into is you're going to say, listen, I still need to be growing and I I still need more stuff being built into my life. So you're going to fall into that disciple category where you're still being invested in. But by the way, how far ahead of somebody do you need to be able to speak into someone's life? How far ahead do you need to be of somebody? So do you need to be like a mile down the road before you can start telling someone how to navigate the path? No. Usually you just have to be a few feet ahead. A few steps ahead. Hey, log here, careful log. Mud puddle. You don't have to be very far ahead. In fact, sometimes if you're a mile ahead, it's tough to tell somebody where the mud puddles are, where the rocks are, where the big rocks are. So it's, it's, it's better to be next to somebody and walk in a journey with somebody. So even though you might be in that disciple process where you're the one being discipled, it, you can also now start to be investing in someone else. So the first category, you might say, well, I'm, I'm in that disciple category. I'm still having someone speak into my life. But the other category is where you're starting to make the investment in someone else's life. And it's really only one of those two categories. So Jesus is saying, go and make disciples. We recognize that Jesus was talking to more than just his disciples. He was talking to the church in general. That includes us. So again, what is our role? What's your role? What's my role in the disciple-making process? Your role, my role, is to come alongside individuals and start to speak in the, the truth of Jesus into their lives and to help them to navigate the journey of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, it didn't stop here, did it? So soon after this, we have this day called Pentecost. It kicked in. Not too long. Peter started to preach. Wonderfully crazy things started to happen. So turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 41 to 47. It says, so those who accepted his message were baptized. That day, about 3,000 people were added to them. Time out for a second. Who's going to speak into the life of the 3,000? Is it just the 12 disciples? Or should it be the larger group? Yes! Yes, now, now all of a sudden there's an even larger group of individuals than the, just the 500. Now there's at least 3,500. And, and 3,000 of this 3,500 know almost nothing about Jesus. They, they just listen to Peter preach the message. And, and they, they're brand new uh, in-diaper babies in Christ who need to start to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus. See, Jesus didn't just disciple the twelve. There was five other other individuals who sat at Jesus' knee, who listened to the ministry of Jesus. Now, Jesus specifically poured into the life of twelve. And they're the ones who are going to lead the journey, and they're the ones who are going to lead the process. But there were 500 other individuals who were intimately connected to the ministry of Jesus, listening to the ministry of Jesus, involved in the ministry of Jesus. Because, again, as you read some of the gospel accounts, when Jesus sent out some of his followers, he didn't just send out the 12. He sent out others as well. Others who went with the disciples at different times. So Jesus' ministry was broader and it was bigger than just focusing on the twelve. So it was the 500 now that are there starting to be ready to speak into the lives of the 3,000. 
But it doesn't stop there. Let's keep on listening. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through, through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as they had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And then here's the other kicker. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So every day... Okay, we've got to figure out how to disciple these 3,000. Oh, wait, wait, wait. We've got to figure out how to disciple these 3,010. Oh, wait, wait a second. We have to figure out how to disciple these 3,050. Oh, wait a second. We have to figure out how to disciple these 3,030. Every day. Every day. Every day. More are being added. Every day. More are being added. Every day. Now, here's one of the things that's interesting. All sorts of ministry on the day of Pentecost starts to happen. All sorts of crazy ministry, wonderful ministry, but all sorts of stuff starts to happen. So Peter stands up and preaches, but then down at the river, they need a bunch of people to baptize. My hunch is they, didn't, they had more people down there than just the 12 disciples baptizing. On top of that, they were starting to gather together from house to house. Lots of cooking was going on. It wasn't just the disciples. Lots of hospitality was going on. It wasn't just the disciples. A lot of teaching was going on. Now, a lot of that was the disciples, but I would suggest to you there was also other individuals who were starting to teach. A lot of ministry is starting to happen on the day of Pentecost. All, all of a sudden, the gospel breaks out, and it's also way beyond the capacity, I think, of the disciples to hold it all together and to keep it all working. Keep right on going. Drop down to Acts chapter 4. Verses 32 to 37. It says, now the entire group, the more time has been going on, now the entire group of those who believed were one, in, were one heart and mind, and no one claimed any of their possessions as their own. So again, wonderful things are going on, but now they're liquidating stuff. They're selling stuff, and things are being done because the church is growing. There's all sorts of crazy needs that are going on. But instead, they held everything in common with great power. The apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on them all. For there was no, not a needy person among them. Do you hear that? So the church is growing. So we're probably at this point in time somewhere around 5,000, 6,000 people. But as all of this is going on, the, 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 the communication process, the network is working, and, and people are saying, hey, someone needs something over here, so we're going to come over here and help that person here. There's a need over here. We're going to come over and help someone over here. All sorts of stuff is going on, and needs are being met, met cares are being taken care of. Keeps on going. But everyone, there are no needed persons from among them because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what they sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. And this was then distributed to each person as they had need. Now we read about Joseph the Levite in Cyprus who also, Barnabas, and he sold the field and gave it to the disciples and they distributed it. Ministry is continuing to happen. Wonderful, crazy, but wonderful things are going on. But you'll know there's a but to that, right? There is a but. But, how much of this, all this stuff that's going on is beyond the disciples? How much of this is beyond the disciples? So much of it. So much. And was all this a sustainable process? I don't think so. Look at Acts 6. Verses 1 to 7. It says, In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in a daily distribution. 
So one of the things we see that's going on here is that part of what's happening is there's a system that's now started to be developed to distribute food, to start to distribute care. So the church now is, there's, there's some sophistication that's starting to develop in the process and organization of the church. It would not be right for us, the disciples said, that it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. The proposal pleased them, the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of, full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicomor, or Nicanor, uh, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. And they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And what happens in this? Okay? So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. So one of the things you see is this explosion and this, this expansion of what's going on. Now, much more sophisticated than what it was when it started. Huge logistics now taking place. And all sorts of gifts are needed now to start making things work and function well. Many people involved. It's way beyond just the 12 disciples doing stuff. Way beyond it. Now, how big does a church need to be before it needs people to step up and to start to address the needs that are taking place? Does it need to be this large, like, tens of thousands at this point or many thousands does it need to be that large no I would suggest to you by the time you have two to ten you need other people doing stuff now here's what's interesting see part of the journey of discipleship and part of the process of discipleship and part of the challenge of the journey that we are in is that part of that is learning for us to step into and start to be involved and start to be engaged in the ministry that Jesus has put in front of us right from the outgo day of Pentecost the ministry that was taking place was way beyond the needs of the twelve disciples And other people started to step in and started to be involved and started to be engaged. And by the time we get to Acts 6, the disciples were a logjam to the process of ministry. The baton needed to be passed and and they could no longer carry that particular role that they were carrying because now they were carrying way too many things and pieces were falling between the cracks. And others really needed to step up. And others should have been stepping up and plugging in and being involved way before this took place. But it came to a point of, of, I would say, somewhat crisis or complaint that kind of brought the need to the fore and said, listen, things need to change. We need to make an adjustment. Why? Because others needed to be involved and others needed to be picking up and carrying pieces. One... The priorities were not the right priorities for the elders, for the, for the, the apostles and waiting on tables, right? Says so guys, this is, not our, this is not our priority. Our priority needs to be, our priority must be the word and prayer. But these things are still important. These things are not unimportant that are taking place. And so caring for folk and, and distributing food to the needy, these things are not unimportant. These things are not non-spiritual. These are very spiritual. These are very important things. Someone else needs to step up. A different set of people with different gifts, different skills, different perspectives to make it work, to make it happen. See, part of what I'm trying to help you to see and understand is that for the church to work, it needs many 
people and many hands to make it work. And Jesus designed it that way. It was the expectation of God that that's exactly what should take place. I've been involved at different times in my life in running sound or lights, singing. But there have also been times when I've been asked to stop clapping because I'm not in sync. Everyone else is like this, and I'm, I'm at a different pace. I'm serious. I literally had someone say to me one time, would you please stop clapping? still remember that. I still smile at that. Now, we can fill in and we can do things at different times and we can fill the gap. But it doesn't always mean that we're the best person for that role. Why? Because there are others, and it's amazing as the body of Christ works, that God has trained and developed and equipped other people to fill gaps and to fill holes and to do ministry. And when everyone is starting to do the things that God has shaped them for, it's amazing how it works. Because there's people who do things way better than I do in other areas. There's a few things that I do well, and there's a bunch of stuff that I don't do well. Guess what? There's a few things that you do well, and there's a bunch of things that you don't do well. And that's okay. Because next to you or in front of you or behind you, are people who are good at things that you're not good at. And and here's what's really crazy. They actually like doing that stuff that you hate to do. And that's beautiful. Now, just opinion, but you know why probably some of the Grecian widows fell between the cracks? It probably wasn't that they were trying to ignore the Grecian widows. But it's because they had other things on their plates they were trying to address or other things that they felt were more important for them to address. When in reality, they should have passed the baton long before this period of time came. And they should have raised up, trained, and equipped other people to do that long before this period of time surfaced. Now, Let's go to another passage of scripture, and one we looked at last week as well, because it talks about this. It says, it says this stuff. Again, look at Ephesians chapter 10, verses, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 10 to 16. It's talking about the ministry of Jesus. It says, the one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, here's what he gave them for. He didn't give them to do everything. Just like he didn't give the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples originally, to do everything in church. Because as we're looking at an Acts, what do we see? They couldn't do everything. Other people needed to pick up different pieces of ministry. And right from the outset, they couldn't do it all. They weren't going from house to house cooking. They weren't going from house to house cleaning. They weren't going from house to house making sure all the Bible studies were happening and all the prayer times were happening. All that was happening naturally and, and logistically as people would, would invite people, all that was happening is the body of Christ started to function as the body of Christ and start to minister to one another. But their job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ Kind of what the disciples said, our focus is going to be on ministry and prayer until what? We all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God growing into maturity and a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and techniques of deceit. And we're going to talk about this a little bit probably in two weeks or in, in a series coming up. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, 
promotes the growth of the body for it for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Now let me jump over to the New International Translation and just stand there the new NLT for a second. Let's look at that last part. That's probably what you have on the screen. Instead, be kind to each other. No, I'm in the way. I'm I'm down at verse 32. It's a great verse, but not the one I'm thinking of. What? He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing in full of love. Now, as I put it on the question here, what does Paul mean when he says, as each part does its own special work? Greg can appreciate this. When he talks about his ankle, he's going, oh, it's got special work. <laughs> it's different than my elbow. It's different than my fingers. I would like it to work. It's, got, it's, it's designed uniquely and specially. Each part does its own special work. We're not all fingers. We're not all toes. We're not all eyes. Eyes is eyes. We're not all noses. I put the S in the wrong spot. Noses. We're not. We're each different. And Jesus has fashioned and shaped us differently. Which is great. Why? Because we need all of these different parts to work and to function. All of us, all of us have something to do. There's not a single one of us, if you're in Christ, who does not have a special gifting from God to be used in the body of Christ. Not a single one. Every single one of us has a gifting from God to be used in the body of Christ. There's no one that's too insignificant and too minor in the body of Christ to be engaged in the body of Christ doing ministry and serving. We all come to church and we say to ourselves, I hope the message is going to be a good message today. And we say, I'm really looking forward to the music as it's going to happen today. But you know what else we also say? I hope the bathroom's clean when I go in. I hope we have a bulletin to see and an order service to know what's going on. You know, I really like it when someone's there to say good morning to me and to welcome me and to help me feel welcomed and included and, and someone's glad that I'm there. See, all of those are different pieces, but all vitally important. There's not a part that's unimportant. It's all important. And all of us look for those things, and those things are important to us as we engage. A verse I didn't read is the beginning of chapter 4. So let's pop up to the top, the beginning of chapter 4, and just read the flow. He says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. You have been called by God. Now, by the way, who's he talking to? Do you know who Paul's talking to here? When we read Ephesians 4.1, who's Paul talking to? the church of Ephesus. He's not talking to the guy who stands in a pulpit. He's not talking to the guy who strums a guitar. He's talking to everybody. Those sitting in the pews versus those standing in front of the pews. He's talking to the whole church family. I 
I want all of you guys, he's saying, to live a life worthy of your calling. To, and as, that you have been called by God. All of us have been called. There's not just one person who's been called or a few special people that have been called. If you're in Jesus, you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. These are the values that Jesus wants us and desires that we live by. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through all. Not talking to a special group of people. He's just talking to the church in general. He's talking to all of us. However, shift of gears. He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Who's he talking to? The church, the whole church. He's talking to the whole church. He's not saying that there's a a couple special gifts I've given to you in the church, a special person to talk or a special person to lead music or a, a special person to coordinate. No, he's saying I have given all of you a special gift. Every single one of you, a gift to be used. This is why the scripture says, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and he gave gifts to his people. So we go back and we look at the beginning of Acts. And it wasn't just 12 guys knocking it out of the park. It was a church family knocking it out of the park for Jesus. And as hiccups and bumps started to surface, What they needed to do is they needed to redeploy and get the right people with the right gifts in the right spots so they could continue to be effective at the work that Jesus called them to do. But it wasn't about more people accumulating more responsibility to themselves. It was about handing out and distributing out to the body of Christ more and more responsibility, more and more tasks. Why? Because each of us is gifted. Each of us is gifted. And as I think about where we would desire that we would function as a church community, as a church family, our desire and our hope is that each of us would be understanding how God has gifted each of us and we would be at work using those gifts and using those abilities in the body of Christ. Why? Because we need it. And you were made and designed by Jesus and gifted by Jesus to use those gifts. And the gifts that you have are unique from the gifts that are next to you and in front of you and behind you. Each of us has unique and distinct gifts that Jesus wants us to use. And I would point back to the process and acts. And as each person started using those different gifts, that's what made the church hum. It wasn't just a good preacher who makes church hum, or a good music leader that makes a church hum, or a good program over here that makes a church hum, or a good program over there that makes a church hum. It's the body of Christ using their individual gifts as Jesus gifted them. I think Jesus is calling. Maybe. It's as each of us uses the gifts we give, we have been given, and we start to use them the way Jesus has given them to us to use, that's what makes Jesus' church 
come. And that's, in the context, living in unity, living in harmony, being students of the word, living in relationship with Jesus, but then using the gifts Jesus has given us, that's what really helps us to advance the kingdom of Christ in the world where he has placed us. So my question, I have two questions. We can look at them a little bit. Where are you in your using of your gifts? Do you know what your gifting is? Do you know how Jesus has shaped you? See, you have been called to be a disciple. You have been called to be a disciple. You will not be an effective disciple of Jesus until you are using the gifts or the gift that he has called you to use. It's not going to happen until you're using those gifts. And again, we said there's usually one of two categories. We can maybe have a little bleed over between the two, but it's pretty much one of two categories that we're going to function in where we're either being discipled or we're making disciples and helping others to discover and help investing in others. And by the way, there's not just a special gift of discipleship. That's, you know, you have the, you have the general directions and then you have the specific directions. The general directions, all of us make disciples. But some of us also have, speci- all of us have some specific tasks to, to follow up in and well. So do you know how you've been called and how you've been shaped and how you've been gifted by Jesus to serve the body of Christ? If you don't, I want to encourage you to join us for class three. See, as we talk about our various classes, class one, class two, class three, we think these are really important. This is part of the process and part of the pathway of discipleship, and it's laying foundations for us in our journey so that we can clearly understand some of the ways that God is calling us and shaped us and designed us to serve him. It helps us to understand how we plug in, how we get involved, and how we get engaged in the ministry that Jesus has called us to. This is important. We're going to have class three on December 5th. As Connor will regularly tell you, December 5th is much closer than you think. You're going to look at the calendar, you're going to say, oh, that's like six, seven, eight weeks away. As Connor stands up and talks to us each Sunday morning as we have announcements, you know that December 5th is only a week away. It'll be here before you know it. Now, it's not quite a week away. You know the thing, but it's closer than you realize. It'll be here before you realize it. So I would encourage you to put that on your calendar. December 5th, I'm going to be a part of class 3. Now we have class 1 coming up in two weeks. I encourage you to be a part of that. We have class 2 in November. I encourage you to be a part of that. But you also might be saying, Andrew, can I, I'd love to talk to you about this a little bit more. I'd like to pick your brain on this. I'd like you to answer some questions. Well, what I would ask you to do, we're going to stop in a second. We're going to take the offering and we're going to shift gears. And, but take this communication card. If you want to talk to me, say, jot, jot, jot your name on here and say, Andrew, I'd like to talk to you about how I think God has gifted me or places where I think I can plug in and be engaged and be involved. Take this, fill it out, and we'll make, a, we'll make a phone call. We'll have a conversation. But Jesus has called us, and Jesus has shaped us to be engaged in ministry and to be involved in the work around us. You have been gifted uniquely. If you're in Christ, you have been gifted by Jesus uniquely to serve him. Don't miss that opportunity to serve. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so very much for the the constant ways that you invest in us, the constant ways that you care for us and watch over us. And Father, as we look at the various ways that you call us and commission us and, and put us to work and fit us together in the body of Christ, Father, we want to be willing to be used. Father, indeed, please use us for your glory. And Father, help us each to figure out where that fits and where that works best. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
do you? But do you realize he's almost 30? <laughs> he's skipping right through most of the 20s because it's... You know, I'm joking. <laughs> God does so many amazing things that should amaze us and humble us. First, he sent his son to save wicked sinners like you and me by dying on the cross and rising again. That should humble you and me, and that should amaze you and me. But not only that, as we've talked about the past couple of weeks, God uses broken, redeemed people like me and you, if you have trust in Jesus Christ, to share the gospel with people who are far from God and help other believers grow. That should amaze us and humble us that God, God works that way. So maybe you're here, you've never believed in Jesus before. Well, on the Connect card, just fell out, hey, I have questions, I have doubts, I would love to talk to someone about that. Do that, drop it in the plate. But maybe you have believed in Jesus and you're wrestling with, how do I disciple people? What does that look like? Well, maybe you need to be discipled yourself. You need to grow a little bit more, get a couple steps ahead of others. Um, Sign up for the connect or for the classes on the connect card. You could drop that in the plate. Or maybe you're even just wondering what does it look like to get involved and to do that. Talk to myself or Pastor Andrew or write that on the connect card too. Use that connect card. We want to help you obey God. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna have the offering and the plate is gonna pass from the back forward as it passes, uh, let's stand up and let's praise our great God who does many amazing things that should amaze us and humble us. So let's, let's pray. I thank you, God, for saving wicked sinners like me by sending your son to die on the cross and rise again. Lord, I I pray for everyone here that if they do not know you, you care about them. I pray you'll be working in their hearts. Help them to reach out to someone here just, just to talk. Work in their hearts to see that you are their only Savior. Lord, if there's anyone here that has believed in you, For those who have, I I pray, God, you will help them to be disciple makers who get involved. Thank you for how you work in so many humbling and amazing ways. God, I pray that you will bless the offering, that we will be able to make disciples and share the gospel in our community. Lord, I pray for the missionaries that we support, that they do those amazing things all over the country and over the world. I pray you will be working, God. Thank you for who you are. In your name, your gracious, amazing name, amen.